ஷரீக்கூறு Rather the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides there's no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there's no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger i would like to begin this evening the second lecture in our series of lectures concerning uh the matters related to as-salat kitabu as-salat the book or the chapter of salat from taysir al-allam to the sharh of umdatul ahkam by Sheikh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn Salih al-Bassam uh, with uh, a quick review of the hadith which we discussed in detail last week and then going on to the remaining hadith in this chapter the chapter of al-mawaqit al-mawaqit the plural of miqat or the timings for the prayers last week uh, we mentioned the linguistic meaning of salat and the technical meaning of salat uh and that the salat has conditions and obligatory uh matters as well as those things which are uh for the perfection of the salat though they are not obligatory and we started uh, with this first section of the matters related to salat the timings of the salat and um i neglected to mention uh just for your record for your notes you should just make a note that the timings of the salat which we are discussing are based on the authentic hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam which those hadith are an explanation of the ayat from quran that uh point to or indicate the timings of the salat and those ayat are numerous from amongst them uh the salat uh, the ayat in surah an-nisa chapter 4 verse 1 all four in the salata kana kanat ala almu'minina kitaban mawqutan that verily salat has been uh, fixed or made at fixed timings it has been made obligatory on the believers at fixed timings so this is a general indication that the timings of the prayers are fixed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there are other ayats in the Quran that are a little more specific such as in surah uh, surah uh, i think surah al-hud chapter 11 verse 114 where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wa aqimis salat tarafay an-nahar wa zulfan min al-layl that you should perform the prayers at the two ends of the day and a part of the night and the two ends of the day mean the beginning of the day the time of fajr and the end of the day which is dhuhr and asr and then a part of the night which is the beginning of the night is maghrib and also that includes salat al-isha the five prayers of the day are included in this statement and even more clearly it is mentioned in chapter um 17 verse 78 where in the saying of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala aqim as-salat li duluq ash-shams ila ghafat al-layl wa qur'an al-fajr inna qur'an al-fajr kana mashhuda that you should perform the prayers from duluq ash-shams yani when the sun begins to decline or descend at midday ila ghasaq al-layl to the darkness of the night and these two timings indicate the time of the beginning of the decline of the day is at the time of dhuhr that includes dhuhr and asr ila ghasaq al-layl yani until the darkness of the night which includes maghrib and isha wa qur'an al-fajr the recitation of qur'an al-fajr is in reference to the dawn prayer 
and particularly due to the emphasis on lengthy recitation of Qur'an in Salatul Fajr, in the dawn prayer. Primarily, the recitation of Qur'an in the Fajr, in the dawn time, kana mashhuda, and it is witnessed, and the scholars differ about the meaning of this uh, statement. In any case, يعني, uh, probably the closest meaning is that it is witnessed by the angels who alternate and who rotate uh, at the time of Fajr, those which are with the uh, people in the night, they leave at dawn time and those which are coming for the day come and take their place. Uh, the first hadith that we took is hadith number 44, the hadith of Abu Amr al-Shaybani and his name was Sa'ad ibn Iyas. He said that the person who lived in this house, the owner of this house has reported to me and he was pointing to the house of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu he said he reported to me he said that is Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said I asked the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which of the deeds are most beloved to Allah the, the, the mighty and the majestic and he said the deed that is most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said it is as-salat ala yani the performance of prayer in its time and according to some of the narrations in the beginning of its time and then I said to him, which one, what deed is most beloved to Allah after that? And he said, Birru walidain, righteousness or goodness or kindness to parents. I said, then what? And he said, al-jihad fi sabirillah. Yani, making jihad, fighting in the way of Allah for the cause of Allah. And then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has spoken to me or reported to me or informed me of these things. And had I asked him more, he would have given me more. From this hadith we mention a number of points that are derived from it and this is يعني, the most important thing the points that the scholars derive from the hadith the rulings or the regulations, the principles, the laws, the guidance that's derived from the hadith otherwise what is the purpose of studying hadith except to be able to derive the benefits from it what is the guidance from that hadith uh, this is the most important point and also not only that but in studying hadith in this manner we hope that by reading hadith and seeing what the scholars were able to uh, extract from those hadith, we inshallah will begin to train ourselves also to be able to identify the rulings and the regulations and the laws and the principles that are found in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam. So this is also a training for ourselves to examine what did the scholars derive, how did they derive it from the text of the hadith, so that also we ourselves to some extent at least can begin to identify the rulings that came in the hadith of the Prophet From this hadith he mentioned a number of points. The first of them is that the most beloved deeds to Allah the Most High is Salat in its time. Then righteousness or goodness or kindness to parents and then Al-Jihad in the way of Allah. And these things are most beloved to Allah after the presence or the existence of Al-Iman. Yani, after Iman, these things are most beloved. But before those things even, Al-Iman is more beloved than them. It is the root of all ibadat and other acts of worship branch out from Iman. Yani, all the acts of worship, the most beloved and those which follow, branch, they are branches of Al-Iman. They come from or they are the fruits of Iman. So Iman is even before these things. The second thing he said, uh, that he intended by this question uh, to ask of the, the deeds that are most beloved to Allah related to the physical bodily actions. He intended to ask about the bodily actions. Uh, and this is indicated or it is proven from the answer of the Prophet ﷺ. The things that he mentioned are all the any physical external actions and he didn't in that answer mention any of the inner things related to the heart or Iman which is the most high of all deeds and most beloved over everything else. Number three he said uh, that this hadith indicates and shows us that deeds, the preference and superiority of deeds uh, that all deeds are not on one level of one degree or one station but there is preference and superiority of some deeds over others and that's based on the nearness of those deeds to Allah and the benefit 
that comes from those deeds. For this reason, Abdul ibn Mas'ud asked which deeds were most beloved, most beneficial, most rewardable, in order that he would give preference to that which is most beloved to Allah over other deeds that he might also do, but putting things in their proper priority. Number four, he said that the preference of some deeds over others is due to the love of Allah for some deed over another deed. And it is based on the Allah's love for that thing. Allah loves that thing more than something else. The next point is the point of Aqidah and it is the affirmation or confirmation of the sifa, the characteristic or quality or description of al-mahabba, love. That it is one of the characteristics or qualities of Allah that He loves something. This is affirmed and confirmed in this hadith that this is one of the sifat or the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we affirm it for Allah in a way that is suitable to His glory and His majesty. Number six, he said, uh, the superiority of asking questions related to knowledge. Yeah, and that this is a virtuous act to ask questions in order to achieve knowledge, especially asking about the important things. And we can see from this question the great benefit that has been derived uh, due to that question being asked. We came to know what deeds were most beloved to Allah in their order. And the final thing that he mentions concerning this hadith that we also derive from it that sometimes someone may leave off asking some questions due to some reasons for fear of annoying the questioner uh, or the questioned one or irritation or out of respect for the yani, person who is being questioned. Yani, Abdullah ibn Masood out of his respect for the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he didn't want to annoy him or irritating him by asking him question after question after question. He let it suffice that he asked three times and he left it at that so as not to in any way annoy or irritate or trouble or make a burden on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We also said that uh, he also mentioned here in our discussion that there was another benefit from this hadith and it is that uh, a side point that in other hadith it was reported that the Prophet ﷺ answered this same question to other people at other times and other circumstances with a different answer yani according to the circumstances or the need of the person or the people who were asking Hadith number 45, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha she said that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ used to pray the Fajr, the dawn prayer and the women of the believers covering, wrapping themselves in their aprons they used to attend and be present at the Fajr prayer then they used to return to their homes at the time when it was still dark outside such that no one could recognize them uh, concerning this hadith there are a number of points uh, he mentions two here the first of them is that it is mustahab it is beloved or recommended or commendable that the dawn prayer should be performed quickly in the beginning of its time and the second point uh, that the permissibility of women attending the masjid to perform the obligatory prayers along with the men yani of course separate the ranks of the women being uh, behind the ranks of the men as long as there is no fear of it causing any trouble or problems or that the women might present themselves uh, in a manner that's unbecoming of the believing women making themselves attractive or trying to draw the attention of the men also on this hadith there was a point of difference ikhtilaf amongst the scholars they differed over which time was preferable what was the preferable time for the Salatul Fajr and we said that there were two opinions one of them the first opinion the opinion of the Hanafi Madhab that Al-Isfar the time when there is some brightness appearing in the sky uh, is preferable and that was based on a hadith which is reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi which is Hassan Sahih and he said perform the Fajr prayer Asfiru bil Fajr fa innahu a'zam lil Ajr and he performed it at the time when there is some brightness or light appearing it is more rewardable 
The second opinion was the opinion of the majority of the scholars, including the three Imams, uh, that is Al-Imam Malik and Al-Shafi'i and Ahmed, rahimahumullah, may Allah have mercy on all of them. And their opinion was that the preferable time is when it is still very, very dark. At the first break of dawn, when it's still very, very dark, that this is the preferable time. And this is based on a number of authentic hadith, including the hadith which we have just mentioned. And they answered the hadith of the first group by saying the meaning of perform the prayer when there is some light or brightness in the sky. They said that the real intention behind this statement was that one should not hasten to perform the fajr even before dawn, but should be sure that there is some light in the sky to be sure that the time of dawn has appeared uh, so as not to pray before its time, which one of the conditions of the salat being accepted is it has to be prayed after its time has arrived. And the second answer, they said, that also it might mean, uh, it is a suggestion that the recitation of the Qur'an and the Fajr prayer should be long, such that even if you began when it's very, very dark at the first break of dawn, it should be long enough that the prayer would extend until there's some clear brightness in the sky before the prayer would be finished. Yani, there's a suggestion here that the recitation in the Fajr prayer should be uh, long. The, the next hadith, uh, the third hadith and the last one which we took last week is the hadith of Jabir, hadith number 46. Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father. He said that the, Muslim, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pray the Zuhr prayer bilhajira, yani at midday when it was very, very hot, intensely hot. Uh, and hajira, some of the scholars said that this word comes from hajira, that, that it's the time when the people run away from their work, they leave the places of work or their uh, jobs or their work, they leave it because of the intensity of the heat of midday. So he said that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Dhuha prayer at this time, at the height of the uh, heat of the day, midday, when the sun just begins to decline from the zenith. And after prayer, he prayed while the sun was still hot and bright. Midday, and he after midway between noon and uh, sunset. The Maghrib prayer, sunset prayer, he used to pray just after the sun had set. And immediately after the sun has passed over the horizon and it can't be seen, the sun itself cannot be seen, even though the brightness of the sun still remains. That was the time of Maghrib. And Isha prayer, he said he used to pray sometimes. Yeah, and he. Uh, at one time and sometimes at another time, if he saw that the people had gathered, and yani that most of the people had come to the masjid for the prayer, then he used to hasten to perform the Isha prayer in its earlier time. And uh, if he saw that the people were slow in coming or they delayed to come, then he also used to delay the Isha prayer to its later time. As for the Subh or the Fajr or Dawn prayer, he used to pray it at the time of Ghalat, and at the time when it was very, very dark at the first break of dawn. From this hadith, uh, he mentioned five points and he said the first of them is that it is preferable to hasten to the performance of the prayers in the beginning of their time. That every prayer, it is preferable to perform it in the beginning of his time except Salat al-Isha. Number two, he said that the preferable time for Isha, or the preferable thing in the case of Isha, is to delay it. And its preferable time is until half of the night, or according to some narrations, up until one third of the night, as it has been authentically reported from the Prophet Except in the case, yani, the preferable time is to delay it until one third of the night or half of the night, except in the case if the majority of the people in the community have come to the masjid in its beginning time, in the beginning of its time, if they have already gathered, then it is prefer then in that case you should pray it and in the beginning of its time for fear that it might be difficult and it might be a hardship on the people after they have come in the beginning of the time to delay it until one third of the night or to half of the night for fear of making a hardship on the people. In that case, you should pray it in the beginning of his time, as was the practice of the Prophet ﷺ, and that is clearly indicated in this hadith. The third thing is that it is preferable and commendable that the Imam should consider and give attention to the condition of the people who are praying behind him, 
in trying to reduce or lighten the difficulty on them uh, while at the same time performing the prayer in its complete form yeah, I mean not reducing the prayer but yeah, I mean giving consideration to the people and at the same time it is also expected that the Imam should make the prayer especially the Fajr prayer long without making it so long that it becomes a difficulty or hardship on the people yeah, I mean they should be balanced the people should be given consideration while at the same time making the prayer complete and perfect but not making it yani, uh, and making it long but not making it so long that it would be a hardship on the people the fourth point he says in this hadith is an indication that the preferable time for the Fajr prayer is at Taglis or Al-Ghalas the dark when, when it's still very very dark at the first break of dawn and this is a proof yani, this hadith is a proof uh, against those who said that the preferable time is when the sky is bright from the dawn and the last point he said in this hadith is an evidence that performance of the salat in jama'ah in congregation is more important than performing the prayer the Isha prayer in its preferable time or any prayer in the beginning of its time it is more important to consider or to look to uh, the uh, people to allow the people to perform the prayer in congregation is more important even than performing the prayer in, its, in the beginning of its time that's why the Prophet وسلم, uh, used to consider if the people were many then he would perform the prayer and if they were few then he would delay the prayer and that's especially in reference to the Isha prayer okay this is what we covered last week um, tonight we would like to start with hadith number 47 it is the hadith on the authority of Abi Al-Minhal Siyar Ibn Salama he said دَخَلْتُ أَنَا وَأَبِي عَلَى أَبِي بَرْزَةَ الْأَسْلَمِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ أَنْهُ that I entered, me and my father entered into the place of Abu Barza Al-Aslami then my father said to him how did the messenger of Allah used to pray meaning the prayers which are obligatory means the obligatory prayers how did he used to pray them he is asking about the timing of the prayers that is Abu Barza Al-Aslami said كان يصلي الهاجرة التي تدعونها الأولى that he used to pray الهاجرة the prayer that you call the first one he is referring here to Zuhur the first prayer he used to pray this هاجرة هنا تدحض الشمس at the time when the sun began to decline or to descend from it being directly overhead when it began to descend he used to pray the prayer at that time وَيُصَلِّ الْعَصْرَ ثُمَّ يَرْجِعُ أَحَدُنَا إِلَى رَحْلِهِ فِي أَقْصَى الْمَدِينَةِ وَالشَّمْسُ حَيَّةِ then he used to pray the Asr prayer at a time that one of us used to return to his home in the furthest part of Medina after the Asr prayer and the sun was still hot and bright Yani after the Asr prayer, someone will return to his home in the furthest part of Medina and the sun was still hot and bright in the sky. It hadn't yet started to turn yellow, which is close before sunset. It was still hot and bright. That means that this is the first uh, time or the beginning of the time of the Asr prayer. When I see to Maqala fil Maghrib, and I forgot, yani, the narrator is saying, I forgot what time he said about Maghrib. And of course the time of Maghrib, as we know from other previous hadith, it is at the time when the sun, as immediately after it sets. وَكَانَ يَسْتَحِبُّ أَنْ يُؤَخِّرَ مِنَ الْعِشَاءِ الَّتِي تَدَعُونَهَا الْعَاطَمَةَ And he used to prefer, it used to be يعني, something beloved to him, to delay the Isha prayer, which you people call Al-Atama. Al-Atama means the darkness of the night, when it's dark in the night. They used to call the Isha prayer Al-Atama, some of the people. He said that the Prophet ﷺ used to prefer to pray this prayer, he used to delay it, 
uh, he used to prefer to delay the Isha prayer, the one that is called Atama. وَكَانَ يَقْرَهُ أَنَّوْمَ قَبْلَهَا وَالْحَدِيثَ بَعْدَهَا And he used to dislike, it was considered makro, distasteful, yani undesirable to the Prophet ﷺ. He used to dislike النوم قبلها to sleep before performing Salat al-Isha. And he also used to dislike الحديث بعدها yani sitting up holding discussions after the performance of Salat al-Isha. This was something disliked by the Prophet He disliked to sleep before performing it and he disliked to stay awake holding conversations after performing it. وَكَانَ يَنْفَتِلُ مِنْ صَلَاةِ الْغَدَاتِ حِينَ يَعْرِفُ الرَّجُلُ جَلِيسَهُ وَكَانَ يَقْرَأُ بِالسِّبْتِينِ إِلَى الْمِيَةِ And he, concerning the Fajr prayer, he used to leave from the Salat al-Ghadat, that is the Salat al-Subh or Salat al-Fajr, dawn prayer, he used to leave from it at a time when a person could recognize the one who was sitting next to him. Yani it was still dark, but he could recognize, it was light enough that he could see only he could see and recognize the person who was beside him. The time when he left from the Fajr prayer, when he finished it, it was still somewhat dark, but it was light enough that someone could recognize the one beside him, and he used to read between 60 to 100 ayahs in the Fajr prayer, dawn prayer. This was the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And that sunnah has been abandoned today by almost all. Hardly you can find one reading 60 ayahs in Salat al-Fajr, even 60 short ones. Uh, here from this hadith, the Shaykh mentions uh, a number of points from amongst them. He says, in this hadith there is clarification that the be- of the beginning of the times of the five prayers. The clarification of the beginning of their times and that the end of the time for every prayer is the beginning of the time for the prayer which follows it. The end of the time of one prayer is the beginning of the time for the prayer that follows, follows it. And that there is no yani, separating time between the two. The time of one prayer and the time of the other, yani, it immediately starts after it, with the exception of the Fajr and Isha prayer according to the differences of opinion. Yani, with the exception of the Fajr prayer, the ending of the time of the Fajr prayer is not the beginning of the time of the next prayer. Zohar. The end of the time of the Fajr prayer is at the time of sunrise. This is an exception to this statement. Yani every prayer, it ends at the time of the beginning of the next prayer, except Fajr. And also we may say there is an exception, according to some of the scholars for Isha, because some of the scholars said that Isha is only up until half of the night, or a third of the night. But the most correct opinion is that Isha, uh, Isha prayer is not an exception because really the time of Isha is up until Fajr. The preferable time for Isha is up to one third of the night or one half of the night. But it's permissible to pray it even up until Fajr, although no doubt it shouldn't be delayed without some reason. If someone overslept, and for this reason the Prophet disliked sleeping before Isha, perhaps a person may be very tired and sleep before Isha and not wake up, possible. <laughs> they may not wake up until Fajr. <laughs> it's possible, especially if they are tired. Uh, number two from this hadith, there is clarification that the Prophet ﷺ used to perform the prayers in the beginning of their time. That he used to perform the prayers in the beginning of their time. If you look at the time that he prayed every one of these prayers, it's actually the beginning of his time, although we know that the prayer has a boundary, the beginning time and the end of its time. But according to this hadith, he used to, he said, Kana yusalli. That is, it was his normal practice. He used to do it regularly. That he performed these prayers in these times. And every one of these times is the beginning of the time for each one of those prayers. With the exception of Isha, as is mentioned clearly in the hadith, uh, the previous hadith, that he used to uh, delay it. Uh, if the people, and the majority of the people had not come to the masjid, um, he would delay it. Otherwise, if they were gathered, then he would perform it in the earlier time. Number three. Uh, from this hadith it is understood that it is preferable to pray the Isha prayer in the later time. Yeah, I need to pray it in uh, the time closer to half of the night or one third of the night. 
But we say that this is preferable with the condition that delaying it into that time would not be a hardship on the people by making the people wait in the masjid for one hour or two hours until that preferable time. And number four he says that it is disliked. From this hadith it's very clear. From the text of the hadith it's very clear from, for, to us that it is makruh, that it is disliked to sleep before the performance of the Aisha prayer. And the reasoning for that might be that the person, if they slept before the Isha prayer, they might miss the performance of the prayer in Jama'ah. Maybe they might wake up within the, per- the permissible time of Isha, but they might wake up after having missed the congregation. And that's a great loss for the men, uh, according to all opinions. Those who said that it's obligatory to pray in congregation, as well as those who said that it is preferable. Even if we say that it's preferable only, still it's a loss to the person to miss the congregational prayer. And another reason um, is that if, even if, yeah, not only the missing of the congregation, but also perhaps the person might uh, lose the opportunity to perform the Isha prayer with, within its preferable time. Yani they might wake up after half of the night or just before Fajr, even though it's permissible, uh, yani the prayer could still be accepted but it would be in other than the preferable time to perform it. Uh, and also, he doesn't mention it here, but Al-Hafiz bin Hajar Askarani in discussing this hadith, he said one of the other reasons why the Prophet ﷺ disliked uh, sleeping before Isha prayer is because uh, the person not only might miss the Isha prayer, but they also uh, might sleep through the night prayer. And they might also miss the Tahajjid prayer. This, uh, and of course, some of the scholars, as Al-Hafid ibn Hajjah mentions in Fatul Bari, the, the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, he also said that the, dis, the yani dislike of, of sleeping before Isha prayer uh, is not necessarily applicable to the person who knows that they would wake up in time to perform the prayer in congregation. And if you know that you are capable to sleep for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, and you would easily wake up for the Isha prayer and you would not miss the congregation, then there's no harm in sleeping before the Isha prayer in that case. Or if you have someone that you are confident they will awake you at the time of the Adhan for Isha, then in that case, inshallah, there's no harm. Also from this hadith, it is clearly indicated that it is detestable or disliked or makruh to stay up in conversation after the performance of the Isha prayer so that the person would not yani stay up so late that when they slept they would sleep until Fajr and miss the Tahajjid prayer or they might sleep late even past the Fajr prayer and miss the congregational prayer of dawn and then he says that this uh, yani detestability of the staying up in conversation after the Isha prayer is not applicable in the case of the one who sits up after Isha prayer for seeking knowledge. Yani if a person sits in the circles of knowledge with the scholars learning something about the deen, then there's no harm in such if the lesson or the dars or the muhadra is after Isha. Such as for example, there's here a uh, Arabic training course and the, the course is after Isha. The person who stays after, up after Isha for some benefit, any real benefit, then inshallah there's no harm in it. Uh, or the person who is engaged in those things which are in the interest or for the benefit of the Muslim community or the Muslim society, if it kept them up after Isha, then also there's no harm in such. As the Prophet ﷺ on occasion did used to stay up after Isha attending to the affairs of the Muslims. Number six, uh, the statement in this hadith, uh, the prayer which you call Al-Atama uh, he said that this is the proof that it is disliked to call the Isha prayer with this name Al-Atama yani it is disliked to use this name to refer to the Isha prayer and this is indicated in an authentic hadith reported by Imam Muslim which is attributed to the Prophet wasallam, that he said لا يغلبنكم الأعراب على اسم صلاتكم فإنها في كتاب الله العشاء يعني don't let the Bedouins overcome you 
in the naming of your salat. They used to call it al-atama. He said, but really that prayer in the book of Allah, it is referred to as al-isha. And it is preferable to call it by isha and not al-atama. And Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma used to become angry with anyone using this name, al-atama, to refer to salat al-isha. At the same time, there is some proof that though it may be disliked, it is permissible. It's not haram to call it al-atama. And the proof of this is in the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, which is attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it's recorded in al-Bukhari and Muslim. that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَوْ تَعْلَمُونَ مَا فِي الْعَطَمَةِ وَالْفَجْرِ كَذَا وَكَذَا يعني The Prophet ﷺ said, if only you knew the benefit in this prayer, Al-Atama Wal-Fajr, he referred to Al-Isha by the name Al-Atama, and the dawn prayer by Fajr, then uh, if a person knew the benefit of that, they would even come to the prayer calling or being carried by other people. They would come to the prayer, that's how important it is. Uh, so here in this hadith there is a proof that it's permissible to use that name although it is preferable to use the name Al-Isha the next point number 7 he says uh, that from this hadith we understand that the time for Salat al-Fajr that it should be it should begin at the time when it is still very very dark such that when the person left the prayer when the prayer was finished it was still dark enough that a person would only easily recognize the person who was beside them. It was still somewhat dark. It wasn't very, very bright in the sky. Uh, and also that the Prophet wasallam, yeah, and the fact that he used to recite from 60 to 100 ayats in the Fajr prayer, and when he finished the prayer it was still somewhat dark outside, is a proof that the time he began the prayer must have been when it was very, very dark at the beginning of the time of dawn, at the first break of the streaks of light. And he, from the dawn. Number eight, he says, uh, also we understand from this hadith that it is superior and virtuous and commendable to make the recitation in the dawn prayer long. And number nine, uh, he said from this hadith that it is expected when someone is asked about something that he should not be ashamed to say, I don't know. And if you are asked about something related to the deen especially, and you don't know, don't be ashamed to say, لا عالم لا عارف It's not shameful to say, I don't know. Uh, because whoever makes a ruling or offers information, especially related to the deen, about something that they are ignorant of, then this is speaking about Allah or about the religion of Allah without knowledge and this is a major sinful act to speak about Allah or to speak about the deen out of ignorance. The scholar who holds back from discussing or speaking about that which he doesn't know, this is not considered to be a defect or a shortcoming for him. In fact, it is an honorable thing, a great honor that that scholar has enough fear of Allah and cautiousness to hesitate to enter into that which he doesn't, to enter blindly into something that he has no knowledge of. But in fact, it is a sign of humility that he is humble enough to stop at the borders or the boundary of his knowledge and not to speak about that which he has no knowledge of. Uh, here, the Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman al-Bassam, Allah, may Allah protect and preserve him, mentions a fa'idah, a benefit from this hadith. Yeah, and it is a side benefit, but it is important. He says, if speaking or holding conversations after the Isha prayer, conversation in permissible things, things that are clean and pure, if such conversation is makruh, then what is the condition of the people who spend their whole nights listening to immoral songs, and music and reading reports in newspapers and magazines of shameless and corruption, shameless things and corrupt matters. Those people who have been tried, yani they have been tested, it is really a fitna for them uh, that they are looking at pornographic movies 
and reading pornographic magazines and sinful things and wasting their time in amusement and useless entertainment spending the night in these things what about the condition of those people who are engaging in such things if it is makro just to sit up in innocent talk and conversation then what about those who are wasting their time in shameless uh, immoral yeah, and the things that are of no benefit and are in fact yeah, and considered to be detestable and those things which keep a person from the remembrance of Allah and performing the prayers in their time some of them even staying up into late hours up to the night and sometimes they don't sleep until just before Fajr and perhaps uh, they don't wake up until yeah, the day starts the cars are beeping their horns and the people are walking the streets then they might wake up after missing everything the next hadith uh, is hadith number 48 and we should ourselves consider how we spend our nights it is better for us that we should sleep early after the performance of Isha unless we are doing something beneficial we should consider that we don't waste our time even in permissible things it's better for us to sleep unless we are doing something that's really of benefit, of great benefit to our deen or to the Muslim society otherwise it's better to sleep early than to stay up late Hadith number 48, the Hadith of Ali radiyallahu anhu that anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam qal yawm al-khandab the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on the day of Khandaq, the battle of Khandaq, the battle of the trench he said, مَلَأَ اللَّهُ قُبُورَهُمْ وَبُيُوتَهُمْ نَارًا May Allah fill their graves and their homes with fire كَمَا شَغَلُونَ عَنِ الصَّلَاةِ الْوُسْطَى حَتَّى غَابَتِ الشَّمْسِ Since they have busied us or occupied us and distracted us or prevented us from the middle salat as-salat al-wusta until the sun has set yani the prophet sallallahu made dua supplication against the pagan disbelievers due to uh, their occupying the muslims and preventing them from the performance of salat al-wusta the middle prayer until the sun had set yani that they were unable to perform the asr prayer until its time had been finished until the sunset, the end of the time of Asr. In one narration of this hadith that's reported by Imam Muslim, and as you know, we have mentioned so many times that these hadith which we are reading are all from Bukhari and Muslim. Uh, so no need for us to mention for every hadith that this hadith is from Bukhari and Muslim. All of the hadith in Umdat al-Ahkam are from al-Bukhari and Muslim. So all of the hadith that we are reading here from the text of the book are from Bukhari and Muslim or from one of them. In one narration as reported by Imam Muslim, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Shagaluna anis salat al-wusta salat al-asr thumma sallaha bain al-maghr wal-isha He said that they have occupied us or kept us busy from performing as-salat al-wusta and then he said, what is salat al-wusta? Salat al-asr, salat al-asr, the late noon prayer. Then he performed that prayer what time did he perform it? Bain al-Maghrib wal-Isha Yani after the sun had set between the time of Maghrib and Isha he performed the Asr prayer Yani out of its time after its time had been finished and in another narration another hadith concerning this matter which is reported by Imam Muslim on the authority of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud this is a different hadith another hadith of Ali Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said that the mushrikun, the pagan disbelievers have prevented the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from Salat al-Asr from Salat al-Asr and here he clearly indicated that the prayer which they were prevented from was Salat al-Asr Hatta ihmarrat al-shams until the sun became red Yani that means or isfarrat or it became yellow فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said شَغَلُونَ عَلَيْ السَّلَاةُ الْوُسْطَى سَلَاةُ الْعَصَرِ They have occupied us or busied us from the middle prayer, the Asr prayer مَلَعَ اللَّهِ أَجْوَافَهُمْ وَقُبُورَهُمْ نَارًا May Allah fill their stomachs or their bellies 
and their graves with fire. Or he said, May Allah stuff their bellies and their graves with fire. Yani Abdul ibn Masood used to narrate this hadith with two different wordings. Sometimes he used to say, Mala Allah, and another time he used to say, Hashallah. Uh, the meanings of these two words are similar. One of them means to fill, and the other one means to stuff, and the meanings are very, very close. Here he says, the general meaning of this hadith is that the pagan disbelievers occupy the Prophet and his companions uh, in their protecting or guarding the city of Medina and protecting themselves they were prevented from the Salat al-Asr until the sun had set. This was in the fifth year of the Hijrah um, at the battle of Khandaq while they were, uh, the Muslims were in the northern part of Medina in the place called Al-Harra al-Sharqiyya which is well known to the people of Medina even today it is known by the name Al-Harra al-Sharqiyya uh, from Harra al-Sharqiyya ila Harra al-Gharbiyya to the western side they were uh, busied in digging the trench in order to protect themselves and to protect the Muslims from the attack of the pagan disbelievers in the battle of Khandaq uh, the meaning of this hadith he said Naam, that they were occupied until the sunset they, the Prophet ﷺ and his companions didn't pray the Asr prayer until after the sunset. And then the Prophet ﷺ made supplication or dua against them that Allah fill their bellies or their stomachs and their graves with fire. And this was yeah, a supplication, a, a recompense or a reward for them. There is ikhtilaf of the scholars concerning uh, the, uh, the meaning or the intended meaning of Al-Wusta. What is the meaning of Salat Al-Wusta, um, which the Prophet, which has been, yani, we have been encouraged to give attention and care to the preservation, to pr- the protection of the performance of this prayer in its time. It is mentioned in the Quran, the saying of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala: "Hafizu ala salawat wa Salat Al-Wusta." And it is mentioned in this ayah in the Qur'an that one should give attention to the protection and guarding of the performance of their prayers in general. As-salawat wa salatul wusta, the middle prayer is specifically mentioned. That is, special attention is given to the middle prayer. Although it is included when Allah says, Hafidhu ala salawat, that means all of the five prayers. But He specifically gave special mention to salatul wusta uh, due to its importance and preference over the other prayers. The scholars differ about which prayer is Salatul Wusta and there are many sayings. Al-Imam al-Shawkani in his book Nail al-Awta mentions 17 different opinions of the scholars about what is Salatul Wusta. He also mentions the evidences and it is a long discussion. There is not that much benefit from going into all those opinions especially since the most correct opinion is relatively clear from the hadith which we have just read the statement of the Prophet Salatul Wusta, Salatul Asr he said that it is Salatul Asr this is the most correct opinion and it is indicated by authentic clear hadith and it is the opinion of the majority of the scholars of the early generations as well as the scholars of the later generations any the other opinions are weak opinions which don't have any clear proof to support them from this hadith uh, Shaykh Abdullah Ali Bassam Hafizullah mentions a number of points from amongst them. He says that we derive from this hadith that the intended meaning of Salatul Wusta is the Asr prayer. And this is based on that which is in Al Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Ali radiallahu anhu, where he said uh, at the time yani, that he said that we used to believe, Ali said radiallahu anhu, he said that we used to believe that the Salatul Wusta was Al Fajr, the dawn prayer. حَتَّى سَمَتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ يَوْمُ الْأَحْزَابِ شَغَلُونَ عَنَ الصَّلَاةُ الْوُسْطَى صَلَاةُ الْعَصْرِ يعني He said that we used to think that the middle prayer, as some of the scholars said, was Fajr prayer. He said, we also used to think like this until I heard the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say in the day of the Confederates, the day of the, يعني, the Battle of Khandaq, uh, when the, all of the pagans and the Jews and the 
people of the Arabian Peninsula all came against the Muslims in Medina. On that day of that battle, he heard the Prophet wasallam say that at Salat al-Wusta, that it is Salat al-Asr. Ibn al-Athir, one of the great scholars of Hadith, said that Salat al-Wusta has been called such, it has been called Salat al-Wusta because it is the most preferable of the prayers and the most greatest of them in reward. For this reason, it has been singled out in the ayah of Qur'an where Allah says, Hafidu ala salawat, protect or guard your prayers. This prayer has been singled out from amongst the prayers which it is part of, and it has been singled out for special mention, was salatul wusta, due to the great reward for it and its preference over the other prayers. And the second point is the permissibility of delaying a prayer from its time if someone is unable to perform it in its time. Yani whoever is unable due to a legitimate reason, then it is permissible to delay it from its proper time. <coughs> then he says that perhaps this was before the legislation of Salat al-Khawf, the fear prayer, the prayer that the Muslims perform when they are on the battlefield, that this delaying or this action of the Prophet in delaying the prayer was before Salat al-Khawf was legislated. Because after the legislation of Salat al-Khawf, the fear prayer, when someone is in fear due to facing the enemy on the battlefield, uh, when that was legislated, the Muslims were ordered to perform the prayer, whether uh, standing or riding. Standing on their feet or even on their riding animals, the Muslims were ordered to pray in any case, and the manner of that prayer is discussed in the books of fiqh. There are a number of legitimate ways in the books of hadith in Bukhari and Muslim that it was done by the Prophet Al-Qadi Iyad, Rahimahullah, one of the great scholars of hadith and one of those scholars who did the explanation of Sahih Muslim, he said the Prophet وسلم, uh, delayed the prayer intentionally in the battlefield due to the intensity of the battle or the situation that they were confronted with at that time. But Salat al-Khawf, the fear prayer, has abrogated that action. And it's not proper now for anyone, even on the battlefield, to delay the prayer, but it still should be performed in the manner that has been legislated for those who are on the battlefield. Ibn Hajar Askalani, rahimahullah, <coughs> said that this statement of Al-Qadi Iyad is more proper and most correct, especially uh, since it has been indicated in the hadith of Imam Ahmed and the hadith of Imam Al-Nasai and the hadith of Abi Sa'id anhu, that this incident of the laying of the prayer took place. And that hadith Abu Sa'id al-Khudri anhu, said specifically that this incident took place before the revelation or the legislation of Salat al-Khawf. Therefore, we understand that this revelation after it came abrogates the previous action of the Prophet And we said that al-Nasiq wal-Mansuq is one of the sciences that a Muslim should have knowledge about. That which abrogates and that which is abrogated. Yani when there is a legislation or ruling that came after a previous legislation or ruling from the Qur'an or from the Sunnah, the one that came later, abrogate the previous one. This is called al-Nasikh wal-Mansukh, that which uh, removes a previous ruling. And this knowledge is important in order that we don't act by a ruling that, is, that was legitimate. It is found in the Qur'an or in authentic hadith, but it was abrogated by another ruling or revelation that came after it. Also, <coughs> whoever has been uh, yeah, I mean, neglectful or forgetful of the prayer, they forgot to perform the prayer in its time, then they should pray it as soon as they remember. And likewise, the one who has been yeah, I mean, prevented for some reason, then they should pray it as soon as they are able. Number four, he says, the permissibility of supplicating or making dua against the oppressor or wrongdoer to the extent of their oppression. This is like qisas. Yani they should be, the dua that can be made against them is equal to the wrongdoing that they have done and not going beyond the bounds. Yani if someone has done wrong to you, it's permissible to make supplication against them. As the Prophet ﷺ made supplication against the pagan disbelievers. And five, the last point he mentions here, 
that some of the scholars said in this hadith is an indication that hadith should not be narrated by meaning riwayat al-hadith bil-ma'ana that hadith should not be narrated by meaning but it should be narrated by the wording that came from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the exact text as he mentioned it the proof of this is the action of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud in the hadith that's not from the book but the extra hadith which we mentioned it's not from the text of Umdat al-Ahkam but that hadith which we mentioned from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud I said that he used to sometimes narrate this hadith saying that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Mala Allah and in other places he used to say Hashallah yani, Mala Allah means to fill their bellies with fire and Hashallah means to stuff them stuff it yani their bellies and their graves or their homes with fire both of these expressions are similar in meaning but because Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was unsure which word the Prophet used to use he used to say he said this or he said this he used to mention both of them not being sure which one he said though it should have been sufficient for him to mention any one of them since their meanings are the same but his care in mentioning both of them due to his uncertainty which word that he used is an indication that it is at least preferable to narrate hadith by its literal text and not just to narrate hadith by its meaning in fact there is a long discussion about this is it permissible to narrate hadith by their meaning and the correct opinion that the scholars of hadith have indicated in the books of Mustalah hadith is that it is permissible to narrate hadith by meaning but with conditions with conditions and those conditions are very strict and stringent and most people cannot fulfill them in that case we will return to the opinion of Shaykh Abdullah here that we should not marry hadith by meaning we should marry them by the text because when you narrate by meaning perhaps you will change the word of the Prophet by another word that may not have the same meaning in that case you will be changing the meaning of the statement of the Prophet and could fall under the title of the hadith of the Prophet when he said whoever lies on me they are guaranteed a seat in the hellfire and those hadith came by different reports the one of Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhu he said that the Prophet said that whoever lies on me they are guaranteed a seat in the hellfire and in the most common narration it says whoever lied on me intentionally but it is authentically also reported that the Prophet said whoever lies on me that is intentionally or other than intentionally that means we should be careful what we say even if it's not intentional we might be subjected to this threat of the punishment of Allah for the one who attributes to the Prophet that which he did not say I don't know if it's time now to finish the last hadith we should try hadith number 49 the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with him and his father he said a'atama al-nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama fakharaja umaru faqala salata as-salata ya rasulullah رَقَدَ النِّسَاءُ وَالصِّبْيَانُ فَقَرَجَ وَرَأْسُهُ يَقْتُرُ يَقُولُ لَوْ لَا أَنْ أَشُقَّ عَلَى أُمَّتِي أَوْ عَلَى النَّاسِ لَأَمَرْتُهُمْ بِهَذِهِ الصَّلَاةِ هَذِهِ السَّاعَةِ يعني عبد الله بن عباس رضي الله عنهما he said that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم أَعْتَمَ that is he prayed the Isha prayer late into the night when it was very dark in the darkness of the night, late in the night so Umar ibn al-Khattab came out and he said he shouted out As-salat ya Rasulullah, As-salat calling the Prophet to come and pray and it's very late he said that the women and the children have fell asleep then the Prophet came out with his hair dripping from water and he said if it would not be a hardship if it would not a hardship on my ummah on my nation on my followers on the people I would have ordered them to perform this prayer in this time in this late hour if it was not a hardship I would have commanded them to perform it in this time here the shaykh says uh, and he gives the general meaning of the hadith and due to lack of time we will skip the general meaning and, uh, and uh, well I don't know maybe we should mention here because there are some points here he says that the Prophet ﷺ delayed the Salat al-Isha until much of the night had passed away and the women and children had slept those who were not able to wait for such a long period of time they had fallen asleep 
Then Umar ibn Khattab and came to him and shouted out to him, as salat the women and children have slept. Then the Prophet ﷺ came out of his house to the masjid while his hair was dripping with water from taking a ghusl. And he, yani, based on the fact that the preferable time of Isha was to delay it into the later part of the night, he said, if it would not have been a hardship, yani, for the people to wait until this time for the prayer, if it would not have been a hardship on the Muslims, then I would have ordered them to perform it at this late hour. The scholars differed about Salat al-Isha, yani, and, and he says here, the difference of opinion of the scholars, Salat al-Isha is the preferable time to advance it in the early time or to delay it into the later time. And the first opinion, yani a group of scholars uh, um, using as evidence the habit and the most common practice of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a taqdeem, to pray it in its earlier time. It was his habit and, and it was his most common practice that he used to pray it in his earliest time and he didn't used to delay it until the later time except on few occasions. They said that this is a proof that the preferable time is the earlier time and he only delayed it sometime to show the permissibility for the person يعني, uh, who has an excuse. And if it would have been preferable, they said, the first group of scholars, they said if it had been preferable to delay it, then the Prophet ﷺ would have delayed it most of the time, if that was the preferable thing. The second group of scholars said, and they are the majority, the Jamhur, they said that the preferable time is to delay it, and they use as their proof the authentic hadith, which are many, such as the hadith which we have already taken in this uh, chapter, um, indicating, يعني, especially this hadith, in which the Prophet ﷺ said if it would have been a hardship, then I would have ordered the people to pray it at this later time. They said this is the proof that it's preferable to delay it. As for the fact that the Prophet ﷺ didn't regularly delay it, they said nothing prevented him from delaying it often, except his fear that it would have been a hardship on the people. And he delayed it that night, and he said in another narration of the hadith that's reported in Muslim, he said, إِنَّهُ لِوَقْتِهَا لَوْ لَا أَنَشُكَ عَلَى أُمَّتِي That if it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a hardship on my ummah, then this is actually its time. إِنَّهُ لِوَقْتِهَا This late time that I am praying it, it is really its time. It's proper time, the time of Isha. It is at this time. From this hadith he mentions a number of points and we will close with this. From this hadith he said that we understand that it is preferable or that the preferable time of Isha is to delay it. And nothing should prevent you from delaying it, except if it was a hardship on the people. And also, we, we get from this hadith the principle that difficulty is a cause or reason to look for ease for the people. In this Islamic law, as we took up this principle previously, that al-mashakka tajlibu at-taysir. That when there is difficulty, it opens the way in the Islamic law for some ease. Since it was difficult for the people to pray in the later time, then Allah made it permissible to pray it in the earlier time, and this was the common practice of the Prophet ﷺ. The third thing, uh, that sometimes it is, it is possible that someone may do the less preferred action more than they do the preferred action. Yes the circumstances or conditions require such. Yani, there may be something that is preferable to do, but, to, but due to the circumstances of the people or the person, they might take the less preferable thing and do it. Yani, as here in this case, yani, those who said that it's preferable to delay it, but yet the Prophet ﷺ used to pray it in the earlier time and not delay it, mostly due to it being a difficulty on the people. And this hadith also indicates the mercy and consideration and care uh, of the Prophet ﷺ for his ummah. He used to consider the people and try to uh, not make a hardship on them. Number five, uh, this hadith is also a proof that some of the women and the children used to attend the prayer in jama'ah. There are some people who say that the women should not come to the masjids to pray, especially in India and in some countries. Some of the people said that it's haram, it's forbidden. And they don't allow women to come in their masjids. Yani they do not allow it. They will stop you physically. And some people also say that women should, uh, that children should not pray in the masjid, and they quote the unauthentic hadith that you should keep away from the masjids the children and the majnoon, sick, uh, any crazy people. Uh, but in fact, that hadith is not authentic, and the proper and correct 
uh, position is that women and children are allowed to pray in the masjid in jama'ah as, as the statement of Umar ibn al-Khattab proves he called out to the Prophet as-salat ya Rasulullah the women and the children have fallen asleep waiting for the prayer that means that women and children used to attend the masjid and pray in jama'ah with the Prophet also in this hadith the, in the point that Umar ibn al-Khattab was very clear and direct with the Prophet of Allah in shouting out to him saying salat salat the women and children have fallen asleep he talked directly to the Prophet in a way that perhaps we might not expect uh, someone to talk to someone like this, yani, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But he only did so because he knew of the great character and the high moral standards of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and knew that the Prophet would not become angry or upset with him since he was calling him to do something yani, that was important, the prayer. Uh, and also in this hadith is an indication that it's permissible that those who are of lesser status may call to the attention of those who are higher status something that they may have forgotten in order to achieve some benefit. Yani he thought that perhaps the Prophet ﷺ may have forgotten or may have overlooked the time for the prayer. Therefore it's permissible, it shows in this hadith that it's permissible that someone, you may go to your supervisor or to your leader uh, or to the head of your tribe or community or the ruler and bring to their attention something that they might possibly have overlooked or they may have forgotten. It's permissible to bring it to their attention for some uh, benefit. This is the end of what we wanted to say from this last hadith and inshallah in the next class we will start with the chapter uh, those things which are considered makru or distasteful or disliked uh, in the prayer. Um, just quickly there's a question from the sisters um, the recitation of Quran during the Fajr prayer at least 60 surahs or more no at least 60 ayahs and the Prophet used to recite from 60 to 100 ayahs verses of the Quran and that's not mandatory but this is sunnah whoever does it it's good to do um, what if she can't memorize those number of surahs or is she required uh, Naam, if the person did not memorize 60 ayats of the Quran there's no harm, it's not obligatory to recite 60 to 100 ayats but it is يعني, mustahab, it is from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam for the Imam in the Fajr prayer to recite uh, a long recitation uh, and it was the practice of the Prophet wasallam to recite from 60 to 100 ayats working mothers, that is uh, her obligation of preparing the breakfast, her husband and children going to school, thus she is unable to prolong to such number of stories. Now, I mean, of course the woman, her situation at, at home, uh, and every person, not only the women, but also the men, should consider in the performance of the prayer, the obligations that are upon them, just as the Prophet ﷺ used to consider those who are praying behind him, if there were women behind him, if he heard children crying, if there were elderly people behind him, sick people, or people who have to go to their business or whatever, then the Prophet ﷺ used to give consideration to this. Um, in any case, it is preferable to do this, yani the lengthening of the prayer and the fajr, but it's not obligatory as we said. If there are any comments or corrections or questions, uh, otherwise, inshallah, we will prepare for the Isha prayer. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka.